bow with me for a brief moment of prayer. Well, Lord our God, we thank you for these gospel readings. And we thank you for the truth that we find there. And we ask that you would grant us grace to understand what you would have for us. And I ask for grace, Lord, as the pastor of this church, that you would give me the grace and wisdom I need to explain your word in a manner which is pleasing to you and beneficial to your blood-purchased people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, it's the third Sunday of Advent. Everybody is rushing around, buying presents, making cookies, eating too much, being worried about, quite frankly, all manner of worldly stuff. We get so confused that even the pastor forgets to, to, uh, to have his family come down and light the Advent wreath before the beginning of the service. That's how crazy the season can get. Taking a side step for the next week or so from the book of James, just to concentrate on a few Advent slash Christmas messages. Let me say this, and I want you to pay very careful attention. I did not know that my wife and Jeff would be singing Away in the Manger. I knew that they were going to be singing. I did not know that that was the carol that they would be singing. But I love it when things work out that way. Because the cradle, the manger, was an act of war. We have sentimentalized it. We have put saccharine and syrup all over the story. But it was an act of war. Very plain and simple. You may say, that's... You hear what the pastor said? That the... The babe in a manger was, was an act of war. Yes, indeed it was. Son of God. Luke chapter 1. Son of God is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. A very unusual circumstance, I think we'd all agree. And he's born. He's not born yet. We'll get to that narrative in a, in a couple of weeks. coming into alien territory. It's his world, but the evil one has been running amok. And what Jesus really is in that manger is a soldier behind enemy lines. That's really what he was. And we have so warped the story of the manger that we've taken away all its power. And we've turned it into this cute little fairy tale. Everybody gets soft and cuddly when they think about the babe in the manger. Even non-Christians don't want to talk too badly about a rosy-cheeked little kid in a cradle, right? I mean, it's just... You just don't. And you know, I, I don't usually listen to too many radio preaching programs. You know that. There are a couple that are okay, but I've listened to enough sermons, and I can pick and choose them. I can't choose what's going to be on the radio. But this week, I was returning from visiting someone in the hospital, and I just hit the button on the radio, and 101.5 came up. And I thought, okay, well, there it is. I don't feel like changing it right now. And it was a show on counseling. 
Right? Probably the last thing I really want to listen to. But it was an excellent broadcast. There was a guy named George Scipion. I don't know if you've heard it. He's, he's a local fellow. I don't think he's from around here because of his accent. But he's a nuthetic counselor. And the host of the show, I can't even remember his, their names. It's a duo, of course. It's got to have a man and woman team on the radio, right? They asked him a question. Why do so many people feel so sad and so lonely at this time of year? And at the time, I didn't know it was George Scipione. After I found out, I said, okay, his answers make sense now because I know the man's work. I thought, oh, great. This is the last thing I need to hear is some syrupy kind of stuff. And he basically loaded up his sawed-off 12-gauge theologically and said, well, I think it's because we feminized the gospel, no offense to the women in the audience, and because we sentimentalized and romanticized the story of the babe in the manger. I thought, oh, well, I can listen to this. This guy's talking right up my alley. And that's what's happened. We actually think that Mary brought forth her firstborn in some nice, clean, sanitized, safe Western hospital. Let's just think for a minute about the cradle itself. About the, let's just think about Mary's trial. Have you ever ridden on a donkey? I haven't. I have no particular desire to. And I, of course, have never ridden on a donkey while being nine months pregnant. Ladies, um, does, does that sound like fun? It doesn't. It sounds painful to me. Okay? It sounds painful. They're riding. There's no place in the inn. And we wax sentimental about, oh, there's no place in the inn. So, so they, went into, they went into the manger. Do you know what a manger actually is? Well, some of you grew up on farms. Do you know what a manger actually is? It's not exactly a sterile, clean place. It's not. It hasn't been bleached. You know, you go to a hospital and you smell bleach. And you're comforted by that because you know bleach kills everything. Right? It'll ruin your clothes. It bleaches. It kills everything. It kills AIDS. It kills everything. It'll also kill you if you take too much of it. Jesus being born in that manger really happened historically. But it's a foreshadow of that cross. Because you know what? He wasn't born, even though he's the king of the universe, he was not born in a palace. He was born in a filthy, stinking cattle stall. And we should embrace that. Because that cattle stall is not a sweet, nice place. Would any of you ladies who are mothers ever wanted to go through that experience as Mary did. I don't think so. That doesn't sound like fun. Actually, from a man's perspective, childbirth itself doesn't sound like fun. Right? You know, when, when we were first going to, when Jason was going to be born, we were 
we want to do it the natural way. No epidural, nothing. No, no drugs. Bad met. We're very nervous about it all. Right. Well, the best laid plans of mice and men. Right. Ruthann says, I want an epidural. So, oh, well, we've been talking about this, sweetheart. Are you sure about this? And the nurse gave me a look like, you have no idea what you just said, boy. And Ruth Ann, who's a very nice lady, gave me a look that basically said, if you, mention, if you say one more word, I'll get up off this gurney and lay you down. Yes! Epidural. Everything's nice. What's on TV? Mary didn't have an epidural. There's no nurse. Joseph, who's a carpenter, had to play midwife. Gentlemen, does that sound like fun? He's not like the men of old who are down in the coffee shop handing out cigars. He's not even like the modern man who's in the delivery room, you know, dressed up on all sanitized. He has to play midwife, probably, and he's a carpenter. Not exactly his field here. And it's a nasty, dirty place. Do you know why that Christ wasn't born into a palace? Do you know why? I mean, God could have had him born in the palace, correct? Why pick that place? Well, as I said, it historically happened, but it's symbolic of the filth and degradation of sin. Jesus being born in that cradle is a a declaration of God's war against sin and evil and the destruction that it brings to our lives. That's what Advent is about. It is the beginning of the story of the final conquering of sin and death. So I'm begging you, don't take the power away from the story. Don't. It's a brutal story. And you know what? It's supposed to be brutal because sin is nasty. Sin is... A, there's nothing you can compare it to. Toxic waste, a fatal disease, an atomic war. It's all sin. It's, it's just filth. And it destroys us. Think of your life. Think about the lives of those around you and what sin has done to you and your Christians. Think of your friends and family who aren't Christians. And think about what's going on inside their minds. Are you afraid of the future, even as a Christian? I get nervous. Could you imagine not having any hope in the world at all? Because if a non-Christian really, really looks at their life, then they have to admit there's no hope. And you know, as a pastor, I talk to people like that, and they say, there is no hope. There is no God. There's no God. You believe in a fairy tale. You're wasting your life. I've actually had people say, you're a gangster. It's a good racket. You have people afraid of hell so that they pay you. And I said, uh, okay, that, that's a new twist. I've been accused of a lot of things, but being a a racket here in the pulpit was a new twist. It's a new twist. Declaration of war. 
I'm coming. I'm coming. And Satan had been waiting for that moment for a long, long time. We have to understand that the cradle leads to the cross. Jesus' life, those 33 some odd years, were exceedingly difficult. He is born in not just humble circumstances. Because we can even romanticize that. Jesus was born into a working class family. They didn't have money, etc., etc., etc. And we can uh, make the medicine go down with sugar. Right? And there's nothing wrong. If your mother wants to put castor oil down your throat, then please, please, put a little sugar in it, because that stuff is just nasty. But you know what? Sometimes medicine has to taste nasty. It doesn't taste good because it's medicine. It's going into your body to kill stuff. And we need, as a church with a little C, and as a church with a big C, you know, whole church throughout the world, to really get a grip on this. Because it's easy for us to get sentimental about the Advent Christmas story. It's not that easy to get sentimental about it when people are trying to kill you in other parts of the world just because you're a Christian. When's the last time your life was threatened because you named the name of the Christ? What's the worst that's ever happened to you because you named the name of the Christ? Somebody laughed at you? Somebody, some, that's what's going to happen to you. They laughed at you. They make fun of you. They think you're a fool. They think you're a dreamer. I've said it to you before and you know this, but you really need to get it into your bones. There are other parts in the world where you name the name of Christ, they will kill you. Slowly. In front of your family. Or they'll kill your family first and then maybe get to you. That's the reality for our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world. That's what that cradle is all about. The destruction of evil. And evil knows what that cradle is about. He's born into this poor family under dirty, unsanitary, septic conditions because he is going to experience something on the cross that we can't even imagine. The scriptures tell us that he took our sins, but the scriptures also tell us that he became sin. He actually became sin for us. He who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The cradle had a purpose. 33 years of law-abiding citizenry. You think you have problems in your life? I know you do. I'm not going to trivialize your problems. Jesus had big problems from the moment of birth. We're going to read it in a few weeks, remember. Wise men, we three kings of Orient are. Another beautiful, sentimental tune, right? Who doesn't like singing that one? Well, you know I don't, because it's an epiphany hymn, not a Christmas hymn. But there's more than three of them. There's more than three of them. And what was the result of those three kings coming? They kick off Herod, who was a psychopath. All right? And he says, what, what do you mean you're here to see the king of the Jews? You're talking to him. I'm the king of the Jews. 
Didn't you read the papers? Go find him so that I can worship him too. But they're warned that Herod's not who he looks like he is. So what does Herod do? What do the scriptures tell us in Matthew? He sends out his armies and says, you go to Bethlehem and the surrounding regions and you find every baby boy two years and younger and you put them to death. Huh? That's how Jesus' childhood starts. In a filthy cradle and then someone puts out a contract on his life. That's how the story begins. Don't take away the power of it. Because you have to understand that the story, his life was lousy so that yours could be grand. His life here on earth was horrific and filled with horror and terror and the real threat of death so that you and I could live in paradise with God forever Free from disease, free from concern, free from care. We will have troubles in this world, Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, he says. I have overcome the world. He goes to the cross. And God executes him. The leaders put him to death. You would think that they'd have enough brains to realize this is not a guy that we want to kill. He brings people back from the dead. Maybe he can do that for himself. But they're blinded. Why are they blinded? When they say, well, they're greedy for their power. Right. True. They're blinded because of their sin. Power, position, Money, big idols, <laughs> big idols. They're blinded by their sin. They are so blinded by their sin that, and it's, it's bitterly ironic that Caiaphas is the high priest. And the text tells us that he's prophesying. Even though he's an evil, degenerate man, the spirit is going to prophesy through him. Because why? The text tells us because he's the high priest. Remember a few weeks ago, it was almost a month ago, when we read that very obscure passage from the book of Exodus about the high priest's garments, about how fancy they were? And I explained to you, there's a reason why this is in Holy Writ. Because the high priest had to dress in these special clothes because the high priest in the Old Covenant represented Jesus Christ, your great high priest. And it's ironic that Caiaphas was decked out in the finest, the finest kind of clothes you could ever have. And he prophesied that Jesus was going to die. This Jesus who they mocked because he come from Galilee. You're from Galilee, boy? That hick town up north? Filled with all those... You've got to go through the Samaritans to get up there. You're not with us. You didn't go to our schools. You don't have the right name. You don't have the right clothes. You don't belong here. That's what they said to him in their fancy clothes. And then they killed him. But before they killed him, they beat him up. 
And we, we focus on the beatings. Or maybe you've been hit before. It's, it's, not a fun, it's not a fun experience. Right? Maybe you've been hit by more than one person at a time. Believe me, that's definitely not a fun experience. But the beatings that the Jewish authorities and the horrific beatings that the Romans gave him, listen, they were a prelude. That was appetizer. Lord's table, it's right behind me, represents his broken body and his shed blood. The beatings that we focus on were nothing compared to what the Father was going to dish out to him when he was actually on that cross. The actual atonement didn't begin to occur until he was on that cross, sentenced to death. The scourgings, and maybe you saw the movie. Listen, the movie was very realistic. Mel Gibson's movie, very realistic. But it wasn't the real thing. Because on the cross, something happened that nobody can get into. The interior experience that Jesus went through on that cross. We can understand the physical pain, maybe. That must have been awful. But the only thing you can compare it to is if someone that you dearly loved just left your life and walked away and turned their back on you. If you've ever experienced anything like that, then you can begin to tap into a small, tiny portion of what Christ felt when the Father turned his back on his only begotten Son because he was actually disgusting to him because of our sins. That's what the cradle started. It led to the cross. And the cross is absolutely necessary for your salvation. That's what Jesus said to those Emmaus disciples, he calls them, you foolish. You foolish. Haven't you been reading? You know, the Pharisees always would quote scriptures. They'd always ask them something. And Jesus would scratch his head and say, have you never read? That's all they did was read. Have, have you, you ever read? Jesus explained to them, listen, the suffering of the Messiah had to happen first. And we didn't have time to read the whole passage. But later on, as they come into the road, they tell him, hey, look, it's late. Stay with us. Stay. It's late. He says, all right. He goes in and he breaks breath. And their eyes are opened and they see him. So those disciples on the road to Emmaus, they had to have known him. They weren't just in the crowd. They had to be they weren't one of the twelve, but they were definitely within a ring or two of them because they knew what he looked like. But their eyes were so overcome with their sadness because they had saw him die. And the body was gone. But then when he broke bread, like we're going to do in a few minutes, broke bread, their eyes were opened and they realized, oh, it's him! And then he's gone. Disappeared. You see, the cross led to his crown. 
He's not a babe in a manger anymore. And there are some churches where he's still nailed on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. What right does he have to judge the quick and the dead? Only a king can do that. The cradle led to the cross. The cross led to his coronation. He's crown prince of the universe. He's the king of the universe now. That's where he is. The scriptures tell us that he ascended on high. I recently did a funeral. And I always read from 1 Corinthians 15. It's traditional reading. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he is on his throne slowly conquering his enemies. And then Paul tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one. Some of us very, very recently. But Jesus, that babe in the manger, came for one reason. To destroy the power of death. It's a very famous book from the 17th century. It's a great title. The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Written by one of the most brilliant theologians ever, John Owen. The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. That little baby grew up and was executed by his father for you. So please, during this Advent season, celebrate, but don't get too syrupy about that babe in the manger because he didn't have a lot of fun. He didn't have rosy cheeks. It was nasty. He had a hard life. People persecuted him, and eventually they beat him and killed him. But, now the good news, right? He didn't stay there. He got up. He got up and walked out of that grave. Mausoleum, really. Walked out of that grave. And where is he now? He's crowned. Crown him with many crowns. And you know what he's doing? He's fighting for you. That babe was fighting for you when he came. That babe was fighting for you when he became a man and died on that cross. And he's fighting for you now at the right hand of God, interceding for you. When you don't know how to pray, he's praying for you. When you're going through hard times and you don't know if you're going to get through it, he's right there. Every step of the way. He tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Your cross and my cross, they feel so heavy at times. But they are very light compared to what his was. Because he took the burden of all of us and it was put on him. Celebrate Christmas and Advent, but remember that babe in the manger grew up to be a man. And that man was executed for your sins. And now, and now, praise God, he is your risen and ascended king. And he is restraining and conquering all his enemies and yours. And he is slowly fashioning you into his glorious image. That is what started at 
the cradle. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand this holiday season. The power of the cradle, the cross, and the crown. In his majestic name, amen.